Hello everyone, welcome to Beyond the Adventure, a podcast exploring why people took on their own unique journeys and what they learned from their experiences. My name is Gareth Brown and thanks for listening. Today I am lucky enough to be joined by Shaf Naeem. Shaf is an ex-military dive instructor and recreational instructor trainer with more than 25 years of experience in diving. We talk about how he first got into diving, his experience in the military and changes he has seen in the environment and tourism in the Maldives. We then discuss an incredible dive he took part in this year where he was underwater for 50 hours. He took on this project to raise awareness of the environmental damage impacting the oceans and is now in the process of setting up a foundation to further his work in this area. Hey Shaf, uh, we are live. Cool, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to meet you. Thanks for thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's it's nice to see you. Somebody from Switzerland. Yeah. Somebody who's living in Switzerland other than me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, and and also, firstly, congrats on the new baby. I'm thankful that you could t- take the time out to talk to me. I can imagine you are very tired or, yeah, I have no idea. I don't have any children myself, but I can imagine it being a, a busy uh, last few weeks. Yeah, it's been three weeks since she's been born. And yeah, it's been pretty hectic, especially at night, lack of sleep. and Yeah, yeah. it's good. It's good. I'm enjoying it. Amazing. Amazing. And is this your, is your third child? Have I got that right? Maybe. Yeah. 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 All right. So you're, you're well-versed. You've got some experience. Well, this is my <laughs> first girl, baby girl I've had after 15 years. Ah, okay. So my, yeah. This is a whole my, different ball game then. Yeah. yeah. My two other kids are grown up. They're back in Maldives. They're 16 and 15. So this is something, again, uh, it's kind of new, just bringing up a baby girl. Yeah. A whole new adventure. Well, yeah. uh, an exciting time, exciting yeah. time. So I um I came across your profile, yeah, maybe a few months ago. Uh, through <laughs> through my girlfriend and her friend uh, Olivia, they yeah. they did a nice piece for you on their um, their magazine, Inti magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I was like blown away. Then I started looking at your Instagram profile, and um, I definitely want to talk about this project of um uh, you being underwater for fifty hours because that is. <laughs> pretty nuts um to me but but do you mind almost just sharing a bit more around your your background because you've been in the military you, you've been a diving instructor for a long time it would be interesting just to know hey like a little bit about your journey so far what's even brought you to switzerland and uh, and then maybe we can pick up the um the most recent project you you undertook and a bit later yeah well uh as you know I, i'm from the maldives and yeah i I I got drafted in the military actually in ninety four, right after my uh London O levels. Wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I've I've wanted I've always been interested in marine life uh, ever since I was a kid after seeing these documentaries of Captain Cousteau and then my dad had some books on sharks and other marine life and got it and then in nine, 
1988, I did my first dive on a resort. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I mean, I did. I was there on a family trip. My parents and my brother and a couple of my friends and cousins. And there was this crazy looking Italian instructor on the resort. <laughs> and this is this is this is in the Maldives. So you yeah, had this, this local Italian yeah. uh, instructor taking yeah. you out. Wow, amazing. Yeah. So I just like I was so interested and he was like, Would you like in his Italian English was like, Would I love to do it? I was like, Yeah, why not? So he just he didn't give me any instructions at all. He was like, okay. Oh my gosh. Yes, the mask. Yes, the regulator. <laughs> <laughs> they just put me on it and just took me from the beach to about two, three meters. Wow. For about 10, 15 minutes. And then I got hooked on. That was it. I, 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 read, a, I read an amazing quote on your website. Um, I think it said, the sea, once it casts its spell, holds one in nets uh, of wonder forever. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Crystal. Was that was that kind of you just there yeah. and then after those first fifteen minutes? Yeah, that quote is one of my favorites from Jacques Cousteau, and yeah, yeah. So after that, I didn't do any diving after that because my mom didn't like it. Yeah, I mean it's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she didn't allow me to do any diving. So I was like, okay, fine. But then I got dropped. I wanted to be a marine biologist after school and I applied to University of Queensland and then th- three days after I applied I got drafted in the military oh really wow yeah. oh my gosh and, yeah. and, and and just before we went to that being drafted in the Maldives at that time in I guess 88 or early 90s you said there's an Italian instructor is that was that common to have more international instructors or was yeah, there all because yeah. obviously I, I can imagine I don't know, in my head, I always thought that uh, the instructors must be local, but actually, I guess that's maybe more of a recent thing. Yeah, during that time, during the, I mean, the diving or the tourism started 50 years ago in the Maldives. Yeah. And in the from that on, it's always been, instructors has been always foreigners. And, and in the 90s, it started, it's like very few Maldivian locals start to get the training, get yeah. the, the, the certification. Because, yeah. I mean, obviously, once you start getting the qualifications, it becomes expensive yeah. and you got to do the training. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Oh, wow. So, um, so talk to me about, can you remember that feeling of after you were applying for the being a marine biologist and then all of a sudden you've been drafted? Was it a one of, oh, shit? <laughs> like, what, no, what was I mean, the, uh, what, what was the feeling like? I didn't think in that way as it's bad to be drafted because I was like, I've been into a lot of movies and yeah, yeah. watching all these Schwarzenegger movies, Rambo and all this. And I always like had this, like, I, I always wanted to, in a way, I always wanted to be part of the military. But then I was like, yeah, I'm not going to volunteer Yeah, for it. So, yeah. And then I did the basic training. As soon as I finished the basic training, I got the acceptance letter from the university and I told my dad like what do you want me to do so he was like just follow your heart just do what you feel that's great yeah and then I thought okay I mean 
I enjoyed blowing things up. I enjoyed shooting. So I was like, <laughs> this is more fun. <laughs> yeah, so ended up being uh, in the Coast Guard. And then I met a couple of divers. There, at that time, there were only four divers in the Coast Guard. In the wow. Navy or Coast Guard. And I, and then, yeah, I was the only one with a certification, a civil, like a petty certification. Yeah. And before, I mean, after the training, I did a couple of one or two courses. So I had the up to the advanced course. And you could do that. Did you do that in the Maldives or did you do that somewhere else? Yeah, you could do that there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was the only one in, in the Coast Guard with a petty advanced and open water certification. So I asked the guys, can I join you guys for a dive? And they were like, yeah, okay, we are kind of a special, but if you can handle it, okay. So they just took me down to about 40, 40 or 50 meters on that dive. I was like, okay. After I came up, they were like, okay. Wow. I mean, had you had you actually been down that far before that? During, during, the, advanced, during the training. Yeah, during the advanced course, I've been to 40 Okay. I mean, they yeah. really like just threw you in there. <laughs> yeah. They just wanted to have a bit of fun, I guess, wanted to see how well yeah. it ended But yeah, after that, I was I was pushed into the diving unit side. So it became just more five people and then slowly it grew and yeah. Oh, wow. And, uh, and you, so you stayed in that kind of area of work for how long? The next kind of... 10, 15 years, I guess it changed yeah. a little bit over time, but it changed. What... I mean, we used to do a lot of trainings and then in 2003, I, I got sort of fed up of the officers who were in charge. And then I resigned in 2003 and became a petty dive instructor. Yeah. Was that a, was that a difficult decision? Because obviously it's a big chunk of your life, and I guess there was probably quite a lot of rich experiences in there, and and I'm sure there's probably the whole dynamic of camaraderie with your teammates and and other things. But how did you find that? Um, yeah, I mean, it must have been a tough decision. But then also, how did you find that transition coming out? It was it was a hard decision to make because I had most of my friends there, and I didn't have many friends in the civilian life. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was hard and the transition was a bit hard because I was trained in a military way of doing things. There was a certain time and a way of doing stuff and then transitioning into a civilian life, it kind of, I was like, what the hell am I? It's like, why, why don't these people have a, it's like a time set. If, you, if I tell you to meet up at, at a certain time that time should be there and respect it. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine, but, uh, uh, big change, big change. Yeah. And after that, I, after I became a paddy instructor, I was on a couple of resorts, managed a few resort, big dive centers for a couple of years. And then in 2007, no, 2000, yeah, 2007, I got called back to train some of the special forces divers, the new special forces unit on their diving. And I mean, I was surprised because there were other instructors in the military at that time even. Wow. 
And I was on this resort managing, and then suddenly I got a call from one of the colonels saying, oh, the general chief of staff wants you to train the new special forces. 30 of these guys. I was like, okay. Wow. Did that kind of just come out of the blue or did you, were yeah, you I, always, were you always in contact even after you left to a certain, I, I mean, in, your friends were there, but yeah. I was in contact with a lot of people, of my colleagues in the military, but I never knew this would happen. Wow. So, and how did you feel about that? Could you, are you allowed to say no? Yeah, 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 yeah I could have said no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I've always wanted to, like, train a proper dive team. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's very us. different, I guess, yeah. to being at a resort and uh, people yeah. are just doing their holiday, maybe their yeah. first first or second time diving yeah. versus, like, training a squad of people that yeah. really, really need to become, like, professional, basically. Yeah. So that that was a big honor actually because they just finished their um, six month special forces training in yeah. Sri Lanka, and then I had to do their uh, dive qualification trainings. As a as a, at that time as a civilian, I had to teach them. So that wow. was pretty cool. Yeah, and then and then I mean, in two thousand eight the. The government changed. The first democratic president got elected after voting after thirty years of being a dictatorship. Wow! Yeah, all that big changes happened, and the police was the Maldivian police teams were looking to develop a dive dive team. Wow! So, so it really did it really feel like it changed pretty quickly overnight? Yeah. That yeah. it really did. Just yeah. just everyday life just felt different. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So the police wanted to make a dive team for their forensic and search and recovery dives. And the police chief called me up and asked me to come for a meeting. So I went there. This was 2008, mid-2008. And I was still working like on resorts and liverboards and stuff. And I met up and he was like, would you like to be part of the police dive team like to head the dive team and I was like yeah but you know let me think about it because police and being in the military is completely different so my whole life sort of changed because I walked out after that meeting as I was because the police uh, headquarters and the military headquarters are sort of two minutes, even one minute away from each wow. other, like really close. So I was, I walked out and just crashed into my old uh, commanding officer, who was the vice chief of the military. And wow. he was like, oh, Shaf, what are, what are you doing here at the police? Any, are you in trouble or anything? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just came for an interview with the police chief to get the dive teams uh, set up and he wants me to be part of the team as the chief diver and he just looked at me and because this officer one of the few I respect (laughs) top brass is a is a British uh, like he's a Sandhurst graduate and all that oh wow okay yeah yeah so he had this way of very imposing respect is that and he just looked at me and said no I don't see you wearing the blue police uniform and I think I see you wearing the camouflage or the green uniforms 
again wow. I was like okay and I I didn't think anything about it and a few weeks later I got a call from one of the officers the current he's now the current chief of staff uh, he called me up and said oh the vice chief wants to meet up with you right now <laughs> right now <laughs> yeah right now <laughs> come on we're outside <laughs> <laughs> so I went for the meeting and the vice chief was there a couple of officers I was like okay we want you back in the military to head the trainings and being with the dive teams again I was like all right and they gave me a good offer so ah uh, so I, you're back back again yeah wow. I got reinstated back in and then yeah I was back into training a lot of divers with the coast guard with the marine deployment units special operations and that was what i was doing from 2009 till 2012 yeah yeah and 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 some of these just so i can get a bit of insight into how I many probably can't share too much but when you've got a special operations team in the maldives or or even elsewhere i mean i'm i'm assuming you also probably also sometimes travel internationally what what are the primary purposes um the primary like um missions almost that uh the teams are going on is it is it really kind of search and rescue like what's the um what's the the kind of almost like what's the day to day if that makes sense no for the coast guard dive teams it's mostly we are they are or we were on standby for search and recovery operations or yeah. search and rescue but for special operations i was training them mostly on amphibious operations so using the scuba and rebreathers and all that okay yeah. makes sense yeah. yeah wow yeah and so that brought you through to 20 2012 i guess you said yeah. and um and then and then kind and of then what I was resigned. next and then you resigned again <laughs> yeah no there was a there was a coup on february 12th yeah wow oh, sorry february 7th 2012 and that changed everything again i guess for you yeah i was i was assigned as a squad leader to at a right squad leader outside the headquarters to control all the protesters and all that and then after a while the whole thing just we we found out that there were a lot of generals and officers involved with the police and the military to overthrow the first democratic oh my god Yeah. What was it what was that like in that being in the environment that it must was have been scary yeah i mean scary in the sense i we we had a clash with the police early in the morning of february 7 and i had uh, a riot gun where i could fire rubber bullets and stuff and i mean i know this is sort of out of topic but like that day I had my squad ready and we were on a face off face off literally 3 4 feet away from the police and wow and I was like I got I gave the command like don't shoot or don't it was rubber bullets or anti gas but still I said but as soon as that if some if someone if someone starts it then yeah and it's yeah I told them not to shoot nothing had you just stand down we only act or shoot if they do it exactly we only react yeah. when yeah if we are attacked or if we are shot at and then suddenly i heard that hiss 
of a grenade canister going over my head. I just looked over the top and somebody from behind. Was it someone in your team or was it just it somebody was, else? It was the f- that time defense minister. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. He's, he's an ex-officer from the military. So he just threw a tear gas canister into the police and it just blew up. Just like Oh blew up. my gosh. That is it. I can't even, I can't put myself in those shoes. It's, yeah. I mean, it's so, crazy. Yeah. It was a lot of fighting with the baton and then a lot of shooting with the rubber, a lot of shooting with the riot gun. And I, it was basically like, I had another guy with me, a special forces guy. And he was, I was shooting. It's just a single shot weapon. So I shoot. And he just puts it in, and then I just saw oh, the the squad behind me that I was commanding just started to go against us. So they kind of moved and turned themselves on us. And oh my gosh, really? So th- so, yeah. so 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 the squad of you probably ha- how many are we talking about? Uh, there was about forty to fifty of us. And then and then almost from the perimeters. They've almost just switched sides yeah. in real in real time. Yeah, and then wow! And I got shot in my back on the on my thighs by a rubber bullet. I fell down. I got hit by a couple of baton hits on my hand because I was wearing guards. Yeah, at the right gear, I didn't get any damage or anything. No injuries. No serious injury. Yeah, and yeah, I got two special forces guys dragged me through the main gate as it was closing. <laughs> yeah, so that day sort of changed a lot in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, had you, had you seen anything like that in the previous, well, your lifetime, basically? Was that the kind of f- first time things just really... Change, I guess, because even in 2008, when there was the first um, Democratic Party, I'm sure there was also some rebellion against that, maybe. I'm not sure, but like, there but was, I, but, it but nothing like this. Yeah, it didn't escalate this much. Wow. And were, were regular civilians caught up in this in the second time around? Or was it almost just more the, the military and the police? Both. both. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that kind of changed, and I resigned. On February twelfth or thirteenth, because I I that's not something that I took an oath for, not to overthrow a government. It was more to protect the people and the government. Wow! To overthrow. Was the was there um yeah? I mean, what was the dynamic like with you and your friends and it changed people because some people are probably probably think very differently to you, even though they've got the same idea they're still thinking i mean if everyone wants to do what they think is the right thing i'm sure the vast majority but their approach to do that or the solution to what they think is the right way is wildly different yeah i mean i lost a lot of friends i mean the friendship was lost yeah because they they chose to overthrow a government and because i i even now i tell them there would have been other ways to do it yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah, basically. <laughs> wow. And so, and what was the what was the follow through after that? So, you, so you resigned, and then, and then I started uh, being the personal, like a bodyguard for the ex president. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So I was protecting him till another election that came up in two thousand thirteen. Yeah. Wow. But in between, I was diving as well. So there were a lot of there were a lot of riots. There were a lot of protests after that. Then. And and what's the the kind of past nine years or so been like? No, then, well, after the two thousand thirteen election, uh, came a another dictator. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he was in for till two thousand eighteen. Yeah. And then he got voted out, and now it's again better. Well, okay. Better, better, but it's better than before. Yeah, it's a crazy thing. I mean, the from and again, like it's it's very naive on my standpoint. To be honest, I don't know too much of the history here. Uh, but it's um, it is also interesting. Like in in Europe, especially when we think of the Maldives, like a lot of these places that when you see them in the magazines and you see them on how they're being perceived on TV, it's a completely different reality yeah. to what it's like actually living there um i'm sure we'll talk about the environment in a minute because that's yeah. also a massive factor but just the living day to day and almost the what the tourists see versus what the real life is like i guess also what is your perception of that in terms of how tourism is operated if that makes sense because it does feel i've never been to the maldives but i can imagine it being very you get there you go to the, a resort you're cornered off you have your glamorous beach and yeah. um, and then you kind of leave, but maybe you, the vast majority don't necessarily interact with with a lot of the people, a lot of the a lot of the area. What's what it what, what is it like for you, and, and how has that changed over the over the over the years? Till till two thousand nine, it was like that. Okay. Only tourism can be operated on resorts. Yeah, that was it. And in two thousand nine, this uh, the first democratic president Nasheed, he he opened up tour tourism on local islands. So there's budget, it's like boutique hotels, guest houses, and yeah. But so that that changed that showed that that showed the visitors or tourists that there is that they can stay on local islands. They can interact with the locals. See how the local live their daily life. Yeah. So that changed a lot. And 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 obviously there's positive economic outlook. I think also there's positive visibility of what it's really like. But but how would you say that um, has worked overall for people in the Maldives? Is it general? I mean, it's, it sounds like it's been a net positive, I guess. But like, what's the what's your feeling in terms of how that has has evolved and. I'm sure there's also challenges, right? Especially in terms of environment and travel and all the rest of it. But yeah, what what's your feelings? I don't think it has changed much. Except, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because there's a few families who are controlling all this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and and like I said, the people don't get anything back from tourism. They are not getting anything out of it. Still, the healthcare system is that bad. There's, uh, how to say, the garbage disposal, the waste management things are still 
that they're so it's not in not it not how it's supposed to be of in 50 years of tourism <laughs> yeah yeah because you kind of i mean as soon as you especially i mean it's, it's expensive people are paying a lot yeah. per night you imagine you you see yeah. this money but you can't touch it you're like well, where's where's it going what's yeah. uh how is this working yeah it's yeah. it's unfortunate i mean hopefully yeah. uh hopefully there is a more positive impact in the in the long term but um have you seen a big i know that one of the reasons you took on this recent project was was to showcase some of the negative impacts of what's been going on with the environment especially yeah. in relation to single-use plastics and um and just generally marine life i guess but in your time diving have you actually almost like seen that change over the past kind of yeah. 30 years because for me obviously i i, I read about it but i'm not familiar with I'm not a diver. I um, I do. I, I I get it. I know it. I know it must be true. But but I haven't necessarily seen it with my own eyes. And and I can imagine if that is the case, I think it could be a dramatic, uh, even more dramatic like, impact on on your life if you've actually seen uh, things deteriorate over over the course of a time. Yeah, I've seen like I like I said, I've done my first dive in '88. Yeah. Yeah, and I've dive. I've been diving in that same location for a couple of years, almost six, seven times every six months in that same location. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've really got a good measure of yeah. what's been going on over the past and, few years. And it's not just on these uh, dive sites. It's it's mostly on the reefs of islands where I see a lot of plastic yeah. on the beach, in the, in the lagoons, in the harbors. It's the, the awareness should be there, but people just throw it. And also it's something that I think the tourists who come in should also be responsible for. Absolutely. I feel like there should almost be like a, a pre education program. Like you should need to sign off a quiz, you know, like something like, hey, like when you're here, do you know, like, are you aware, like, do you like really reinforce some of this information? But I, I think it gets lost sometimes. Uh, I, or they can do what the Swiss airline Edelweiss is doing. You can take a bag. They give a garbage bag when they, when the tourists go to the Maldives. Oh, do they? Why well, didn't yeah, know that? Yeah, so oh, if wow. they... Yeah, it's just a subtle hint, but at the same time, it's empowering because it's yeah. like, hey, just as a reminder, like this is, you really, it's like when you go, I mean, it's, it's a big thing in like hiking just in Switzerland yeah. when um, like you really shouldn't, anything you take with you, you should be bringing back. Yeah. Like you should leave nothing out. And um, and for the vast majority of the time, that is the case. I think we've probably both seen and found, but but yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, and Maldives doesn't have the the infrastructure to recycle plastic or other material. It's just dumped on a big island and burned. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So and also the volume of tourists yeah. as well. And because of the nature of how there are tourists, like you, yeah. you do consume more, you do yeah. use more like I think like people are always having bottles of Coke or they're like whatever they want to drink around the, the beach or they don't. They don't have that stuff from home. If in the in the same way, it's not an excuse, but it's um, 
it's just going to build up even faster than what they would do if you were at home. No, I, like I said, I like how the Swiss Airlines Edelweiss is doing. So if the guest wants to bring their plastic or used batteries and stuff, they put it in the bag, tie it up. And when they're checking in from the Maldives, coming back to the coming back to Switzerland, it's taken into the cargo and they don't charge anything for it. Wow. I didn't so, know that. That's so really great. I think more airlines should do that and more tourists should do that. Yes. Yeah, if they're using plastic bottles and stuff, then just take it back. Even if they buy it in the Maldives. No yeah. way, there is no recycling facilities in the Maldives right now. Yeah, that is uh, it's, it's really important. Um, and, and, and how is that awareness just inside the Maldives itself? Obviously, you said that people will clearly see it. And you you seem to be doing an amazing job of like raising awareness through some of the programs that you're doing. But but in your day to day life, mm-hmm. how are, how are people talk? Like, do people talk about this? Are they do they see a risk to their like to their surrounding? Like, yeah, I think. It's difficult. I again, I can't put myself in, in the shoes of someone living in the Maldives, so I, I um, I wouldn't know. But it, I just wonder, like, yeah, how topical it almost is, or is it almost just one of those things? It's like, yeah, it's crap, but that's the way it is. Yeah, some people have that mindset, and the other thing is that the government, I'm, I'm not saying a specific government. It's all the governments that I've seen so far. They talk about climate change. They talk about the environment. The environment pollution and all that and yet they don't do anything they yeah. just they just talk they go to all these uh, conferences abroad to the cop the environment yeah uh, or the un and then they just talk get all the funds <clears throat> oh we are a low-lying state we are a vulnerable state we need the funds to mitigate all this but nothing when you're actually in the Maldives, you don't see anything being used. Yeah, you and, kind of wonder, like, and, where where is the new waste management system coming in? Like, where is it? <laughs> yeah, where is it? And, like, how, if you think rationally, all these high-class resorts, why can't they have their own waste management system? It's yeah. Not, it's not a big thing, not a big investment for them. If no. they run a five-star resort. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I really wonder how long it's going to take for some of the... I mean, I already see it here a little bit in Switzerland. Like, I see more websites that, um, for example, like uh, eco hotels only. So they have to meet certain standards in terms of waste and energy and, and, and all the rest of it, which is which is really quite like... It's, it's, it's fundamentally a selling point at that point. Like, it's, it's, mm. it's, not that, it's not like a stamp of approval. It's actually just going to attract... A, a certain customer i wonder especially for someone at like the maldives and it and it does want to attract um people especially those maybe of a younger generation that, that that it's more of a passion point and it's and it's and it's important to everybody i hope but um i wonder if some of them really take the lead on this and uh and start implementing some new systems and some new processes to showcase that they are really environmentally conscious and then if they see the results of maybe some more customers or a different type of customers, then it, it might lead the way, but I don't know. There, there are a couple of resorts that are environmentally friendly. They say, yeah. I mean, they grow their own produce and they recycle some of the stuff. Yeah. But the, 
But the contradicting part is those islands are not natural. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> they are just dredged, like completely dredged in the lagoon and new sand brought in and it's an artificial island. Oh, my gosh. Well, in your time, actually, living, like, how many times have you seen that happen? Like, at what point did that that did that start? When they start artificially making some of these like small uh, islands, I think in two thousand five, six. Oh wow! Okay, I thought it was. I thought it was before that. No, that's no, that's no. really recent. And it it increased like after the uh, after two thousand thirteen, it increased a lot. Wow! Yeah. So how many islands are there now? Uh, officially, thousand one hundred and ninety. Wow! Oh my gosh! And and uh, how many of those are populated? I mean, uh, inhabited. I think yeah. one eighty to one ninety. Yeah. Okay. And then okay. out of, again, there there should, there must be now over two hundred resorts. Four hundred. Wow. Fifty something. Yeah. And I guess just I mean. I guess the whole economy now is also built around the tourist tourist side of things now as well. I mean, yeah. been evolving for fifty years, but wow, yeah. interesting, yeah. really interesting. So, um, so especially on the environment side of things, when you start looking at, at some of your diving and actually doing it for projects like uh, I think it's Ocean Six One Fifty, yeah, Six Fifty, Six Fifty. Sorry, yeah, Ocean Six Fifty. Um, when did when did that start coming through for you? Like, wh- when was the moment? Like, as it, I mean, it sounds like you always were interested, especially in marine biology, as you said, when mm-hmm. you almost studied it many years ago. Um, but when were, when was the time that you thought, I, I really need to just be a bit more vocal about this. I need to make a bit more of a stand and I want to just educate people or find ways to, to bring it to, um, to the front of people's minds. Like, when did that start to, to come up for you? Well, yeah, I mean... The first dive I did like that was in 2016. Yeah. So I did a dive, an event or project called Dive 48. Okay. So I did that as a 48-hour dive, but in, in, in teams, not just me. So I had a team of divers, 11 or 12 divers, and we were diving one specific uh, coral pinnacle, a very famous dive site in the Maldives. Yeah. And luckily, we got the permission from the Environment Ministry to shut down that site just for us to dive for 48 oh, hours. So, wow. so we basically did photos and videos of that site for 48 hours. And wow. this, was, this was right before the big El Nino hit of 2016. So we had data. Before yeah. and after. So that kind of, right. And then I was always, I always I wanted to do a 24-hour dive. Yeah. And that just, then, that, you always had that burning passion yeah. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I plan this as a 24-hour dive since 2018. And everybody was like, no, nah, you can't do this. And I was not getting the support. And I needed a good team as well. So. I was not getting that. And last year, the government announced that this year, 2022, will be 
the 50 years of tourism and diving in the Maldives. So they are making it a big ah. celebration. So I was like, okay, let's see if I can do 50 hours just to, just to see if we could be part of this big tourism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It, it's uh, it's going to get the... It takes a lot of boxes. I mean, it's going to hit some some more headlines and it, it syncs up with everything that's going on. Wow. So you had that idea, you said just, just over a year ago. Was that right? No. Yeah. Well, for 50 hours, yeah, from last year. Yeah. I started planning and then I needed a team. <laughs> yeah. How, how, like, what, what are the, what are the roles almost of the team members and, um, and how many people do you need to build up? Like, yeah, so, I, would, I, I literally would have no idea where to start. <laughs> No, there was no rules or like a set limit or anything. It was just that I knew I'm friends with a lot of the top technical divers, deep divers or extreme yeah, divers in imagine. the world. And I contacted all of them, well, almost all of them and asked them like, is this possible? And a lot of people were like, uh, I don't think can this can be done and you wow. know, you need you need rebreathers, you need special mixers and all that. And I was like, okay. So I was getting a lot of feedback from different people. And then in the end, it just, I just, I had this feeling, you know, that, okay, these guys are not really supporting me. They are still doubting. Yeah. Mm, it's interesting that, I mean, because... I mean, you do trust them and they're your friends and they are experts in the field, but you need a certain sense of optimism, I guess. In terms of that feedback, what did they and what did you see as being the biggest challenges for a 50-hour dive? Like, What are the biggest risks associated with that? Uh, the biggest risks would have been if like, I stayed down that long. That's what everybody is saying. My, uh, the CNS, central nervous system, toxicity might go up and might not be able to come up that fast or I might get into a shock. I might get oxygen toxicity and decompression sickness and a lot of factors started. And how much how much of this stuff can you even measure when you're down there? Uh, you can measure with the computer. Okay. So, and a lot of these were thrown at me. It's like, this is the reason why you shouldn't do it. And yeah. blah, blah, blah. you need this guess. Somebody said I need a helium mix. Somebody said I need... I need another mix with helium and other stuff. And it was a bit crazy. And then in July last year, I met a very close friend of mine. He was one of the unsung heroes for the Thai cave rescue. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I watched that documentary last year. I was like, bloody hell, this is absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, what was it called? I forgot what it was called, but on, yeah, in Disney Plus. But he was one of those. Wow. So yeah. he, his name is mentioned a few times, but he was not shown in any of the documentaries. Or yeah, whatever. I always get the feeling, with, especially with these documentaries, I mean, you just, they need characters, I guess. Sounds really harsh for me to say this. I mean, they all did an amazing job. <laughs> but uh, the way that documentaries are made, yeah. often I'm sure you, you need to pivot off yeah. a few people. And if you have 10 characters or 20 characters, it's not going to work. It's not going to cut through. You need yeah. to just focus in on a few. Uh, yeah, okay. So I met Ben in in Sweden last year, in July, and I asked him, like, so I'm planning this dive, and 
all that. And I have I had emailed him a few times before that regarding it, and I never got a reply. So he never got the emails. <laughs> so <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, can do. It's not a problem." Wow, I love that. It's just yeah, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, let's plan it. And then I started. Then yeah, I got my team from the Maldives ready and. In December last year, I got a big donation from a bank in Cambodia as a oh, sponsor wow. to make the dive happen. And slowly I started getting things running. Yeah. Everything I, was falling into place. And that team, so so Ben is international, but was the rest of your team fairly local or was it international? How how, how did you get all majority, that together? Majority were local. So okay, I cool. had Ben, Ben's girlfriend, my wife, then there was... Yeah, another, yeah, Darshana from Sri Lanka, Bushan from India, Saeed from the UK, Andy from Switzerland again. And yeah, that was the international. Wow. And then the rest, 12 or 14 were locals who were like the closest to me in the field of diving. Mm. And then they just know the area and everything, right? They, they, yes. I just, and I guess dived with you quite a lot as well. I've dived with them and they are my like, my niece was there, some of my cousins, so all our marine biologists and all that. So I, I needed that that trust who I yeah. can rely on. That makes sense. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. And how was it in terms of trying to get a sponsor, for example? Like sometimes people, especially when people do take on these big projects and they do an expedition or they do um, some kind of really unique project, it's almost the time trying to get somebody on board is arguably more difficult sometimes than the than the prep. How, how was it for you in terms of trying to get somebody uh, like get, a, like a bank on board? I mean, it's yeah. Uh, to get the bank on board, it was through a friend. Yeah, got it through the connections. It was easier to get dive equipment. I've, I'm like a team diver for Fourth Element, which is okay. a dive uh, apparel and dive suits brand from the uk yeah great okay so i've been one of their team divers since 2016 and they've supported them oh great yeah. i got sponsored by ocean reef which is a full face mask producer from italy so yeah and then luminox the watch company yeah, yeah sponsored as well and xdeep another dive gear company the, the difficult part was getting the financial support yeah yeah and now i know why i didn't get the financial support because i had chosen a guy who was blacklisted sort of uh, known as a scammer among the maldives oh gosh no i didn't know nobody yeah. told me oh wow so, that's tough yeah but i made it happen we made it happen and then yeah it was wow. difficult to get the support, but now I'm getting a lot of feedback, a lot of support from different companies that they will back me up in my next projects because they've seen it. That I, have. I think people need that as well, right? Also, like nobody wants to sponsor something if it goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an absolute disaster. Like you yeah. don't need you. Nobody needs that. Yeah. It's um, I, I risk and reward sometimes is uh, is a is a difficult one to to manage. So um so you've got your team together and then what's the build up like? Are you uh, like how do you train for for this type of thing? I, mean, just, <laughs> like, I don't know. I have no idea. Like how does that work? It seems like yeah. I, I, don't, know. Be, I don't know how you train. 
To be honest, I should have trained harder. Okay. Yeah. My, my longest dive before this 50-hour dive was when I was in the with the with the military. I did a five-hour dive. Your was, longest was five hours before the 50? Yeah. Wow. It was like <laughs> in 2001 or two. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that is I crazy. I should have trained then. It was because I was here in Switzerland. Yeah. And by the time the the wheels started turning, it was autumn last year. Right. And the lakes were colder. And yeah, I was going to say I was wondering if you actually dive throughout yeah, what seasons dive. in Switzerland, but I, I'm assuming more so in the summers. But and then uh, last October, me and my wife we went to Finland. Oh wow! Did, did some mine cave and mine dive trainings in the cold waters or the mines of Finland. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, with my friend Ben. And it was one of the most hardest dive courses, trainings I've ever done. What what made it kind of so hard, if you don't mind asking? It was, I've been a combat diver. I've done the clearance diver course, combat diver, special operations, combat diver trainings and all that. But this was hard because it was cold. Yeah, the temperature must make a massive difference it was three or four degrees in the water and i had so much equipment on it's like yeah so you just feel yeah it was so difficult with the dry gloves and having all these dry suits and the cold was getting to me and but (laughs) yeah but yeah it was worth it because it kind of mentally prepared me okay i'm gonna be underwater for 50 hours yeah i might hit cold like it, the cold might hit me but it's yeah. not cold in the maldives so that was not a worry but I no but still but for that period that that length of time your yeah. body is going to go through different moments yeah because it has to uh, i guess to, yeah. to um it can't just be operating at a certain level for that length of time wow so so um so you so you're building up five hours of trading max 20, 2001, but at least Finland helped. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then what yeah. else what else to I, help you prepare? So the dive was in February this year, twenty fifth, twenty fifth, yeah. And I went back to Maldives end of January and then just started diving gradually. Okay. So I was using the same equipment. It yeah, was, I get, okay, yeah. It sense. was hot, but still I was using a dry suit and doing three hour dives almost every other day yeah and just a lot of fitness a lot of running a lot of time in the gym and nice nice so you did that for basically probably yeah a month basically and they build up really it's almost like a fight camp (laughs) (laughs) getting ready for that for the big day um and uh and as the days were coming up to it did you have any feelings like should I do this? Should I? Uh, I guess because you've told that many people, you kind of um, have left yourself little room to back out. But did you have any of those moments? Yeah, at one point I had because um, Ben, who was supposed to come earlier, just uh, a week earlier th- than the dive starts, and he, he and his girlfriend got COVID, so he couldn't fly oh. out on, before that. So that kind of made me, and then the I was going to use a rebreather as well, 
a British company wanted to sponsor the rebreather, but then that unit was not tested. Oh. It was not even certified, so I didn't want to be the lab rat. No, not in that situation. <laughs> so that kind of was a downfall. But again, and I'm known as the black sheep of the Maldives dive industry because I do all sorts of crazy stuff and doesn't follow any any rules. <laughs> <laughs> Did you uh, do you get a certain reaction sometimes actually from from other divers or anyone else in in like because. A lot of people, I hope, would just celebrate it. And but there's also the other side. Sometimes it's a bit jealousy. Sometimes it's just uh, they they think that you might be taking too many risks or whatever else it might be. But do you ever get do you ever get any reactions from from people in the I've community, got, especially? Yeah, I've got a. I mean, they don't say direct in my face. No, I can imagine. Yeah, but, but you kind of must hear things. Yeah, or see, I, I'll see it when you meet them. And there's like a feeling. Yeah, I was hearing a lot of negative stuff about me you know this guy is not gonna make it he's gonna be up after two hours or three hours wow really okay um, yeah so a lot of that was going on but did that just did that impact you at all did you feel like i mean you just as motivation or did you just think yeah, or did you uh it was more yeah. for motivation thing for yeah exactly nice yeah. nice it's amazing like if you if you can mentally somehow um spin it in that way, it can have such a tremendous effect, I guess. But um, but if your mind doesn't allow you to, it can be such a negative spiral. It's uh, it depends on who yeah, you are, I, I guess, and the experience you have. I mean, I went on a negative spiral on on the first night of the dive. Yeah. Okay. So I jumped in. My jump time was three thirty four p.m. Yeah. Okay. Can you, can you set the scene almost? So it, at this time, it's you and your team, yeah, and I, I saw some pictures. Obviously, when you came back up, and it seems like quite a lot of people there. But <laughs> when you first went in, what was the dynamic like? Was it just you oh, and your team? Was, no, there was a lot of media. There was the minister of tourism. And oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. My family, both my sons there, my mom and brother, and everybody else was there. So wow. There was a so yeah, I jumped in at three thirty-four p.m. And then I was, I had uh, put, I mean, I didn't have that much weight on me. So I had to struggle down. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I had would, would, would you do that differently if you were to do it again? Or yeah. was it still the right decision? You would? Okay. Yeah. So, and I had the full face mask on and, and it started flooding somehow. And so I was in a lot of troubles from the start. But oh, wow. I just went down. And then my the support divers held me down. Then Ben jumped in and put enough weights again onto me. Oh, to keep you down. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then calmed me down and then fixed the mask. The mask problem was done, so that was good. But around 10.30 in the night, that negative spiral started. Like mm. my mind was going, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. I mean, also at this time, yeah, I mean, at this point, you're already two and a half hours past the furthest you've ever been. So, yeah, yeah your mind is probably thinking, what, what is going on? I mean, so what, what did you think about at that time? Uh, it was like something in my head was just saying, yeah, what am I doing here? What the hell am I doing here? And I could just end the dive, tell the, tell the team and the media that, okay, 
it's a no-go. I can't do this. Go up. And I was looking up because it was there were floodlights from the top, from the the, mm. the boat that I used as the base, base of operations. They had put some floodlights, not directly on me, but I could see where the you boat You could see was. the lights, yeah. yeah. So I was just looking at the lights and saying, should I go up? And then I just switched. I was like, nope. Wow. How long do you think it took for that switch to happen? About 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Tormenting 10 or 15 minutes. I bet and, that was a long 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and just my mind switched to the military mode of thinking. I was like, nope, not going to do this. Not wow. going to give up. And if I give up, there'll be people who will be celebrating even that mm. I failed. So Interesting. I just you don't, want, you don't want to give them the satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I used to have this motto when I was in the military. It's like, don't give up even if it kills you. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, I can try and empathize, but I, yeah, I, um, I, I couldn't put myself in your shoes again. But, but, so but that, that kind of helped me going in. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, um, did, was, did the lights almost help in some ways that, that you knew that every, like people were just there? I mean, how many meters down were you again? Yeah, okay. Yeah, like, did that help or would you almost have preferred to just become very reclusive, if that, if that makes sense, no, that, and just have the light? It did help. That helped. Yeah. And I had yeah. always, uh, every hour, every one and a half hours, I always had two of the support divers always with me. Okay, great. And when they're down there, I mean, obviously you can't really communicate. So is it just just, just the feeling of having people around you that um, that just gives you a great sense of reality almost? Having them down was one thing that was very good. And yeah. I had to communicate. I, like I said, I had the full face mask on Yeah, with a surface connection to the board. So I could talk whenever I want. I can hear what they wanted. And to communicate underwater, I had a slate where I can just write and just... You know, I saw this. I remember seeing one quote that said, uh, I want a burger. <laughs> that became a meme. I don't know. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so that helped a lot. Oh, nice, nice. And what else were you thinking about when you're down there for the, for the time that you were? No, it's like, I don't know. I was... There were so many things like going in my head, like, okay, what's the, what will be the outcome of this dive? Mm, that, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. What would be, what do I do next? How do I push uh, people into not using single-use plastic? And, yeah. Um, so, and that time I came up with yeah, the idea of making a foundation. Ah, so you, oh, I thought you did that actually almost before, but so you did that. No, no. You did that. After. Oh, we are still in the making. Still in the making now. Yeah. Wow. So, and is this because this is what I think you've talked about, um, where you're thinking about trying to set something up on an annual basis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking like about that, and now we are in the almost in the process of registering the foundation and stuff. So. Ah, oh, very cool. Yeah. Wow. And and was it what you what you kind of expected down there? I mean, did you have a sense of what you were letting yourself in for? Um 
and and was it yeah was it kind of what you expected when you were down there because it is a long period of time but um yeah, it was your feeling it was mentally very challenging so that was if i if i was alone i don't think i could have done it yeah i had divers coming in all the time so and, and what was the biggest challenge almost mentally was it yeah what, what... Uh, not giving up side was yeah yeah wow and 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 afterwards, so so you so as you're getting towards the the fifty hour mark, are you? I mean, are you keeping an eye on the time? Because I mean, also just not, you just can't sleep. I mean, it's just were I you just were you also just exhausted? Like, exhausted? Like what was the almost also the physical feeling? Of, or were you were you physically tired down there? Because you have to kind of, I can imagine it just been very, uh, just difficult a strain. I would imagine on the body like being yeah. like that in that state again and i i can't put myself in in your shoes so i wouldn't know but it to me it feels like it would be a lot of strain on the body i was moving around on and off yeah and then i had ben and his girlfriend rika come down once in a while and just give a massage on my legs and back yeah uh, that's good and then yeah i mean it it took a lot lot out of me especially it started sort of like on the last day the the hood i was wearing to protect my head the neoprene was cutting into my neck i still got the scar from it so every time i turned it was like somebody was dragging getting a knife through my neck and there was a massive cut it was just into my cut into my neck and then on the last day around 6.30 6.30 or 7 in the morning, I felt trickles of water start mm. going down. And Coming through your body, through your wetsuit. So yeah. my dry suit, the, the, dry next, suit yeah. the next meal was uh, sort of damaged. And then around 9 or 10 in the morning, I was completely flooded. So oh. I was wet. All my The uh, thermal where I was wearing was wet. Oh, gosh. And around three thirty, I started shivering so badly, but I didn't show it to to my team. I guess because you'd also be worried that they would say, "Okay, yeah. let's call it." Yeah. Uh, you have to probably keep that sense of yeah, so, yeah of control. That's a, that's a difficult one. Yeah, because so I was I was basically after three thirty when I started shivering, I was just laying myself down and just concentrating and in my mind. It was like, no, I'm not cold. This is, this was just, it'll pass. It's just another two hours. Yeah. So do, do you practice some other things outside of diving? Like whether it's uh, like meditation or anything else for the mind, like to prepare you for that type of feeling? Oh, no, never did. I had yeah. a friend of mine from Sweden who is a, she is a mental coach and a yeah. champion freediver. So she was really oh, wow. pushing pushing me to train my mental state to some meditation and I was like I can't I'm not this kind of person who can do yoga and be like this om kind of <laughs> guy I don't think I can do it so I never did I never tried yeah I know fair enough fair enough yeah so uh, and then so was there any point actually where you were where you were worried because you if you're shivering you're wet you've got your neck must be killing you by this point like that sharp pain i can't even it must be unbearable um 
Yeah. What did was there a point after that where you were just like, maybe I do have to call like just for the sake, like for safety almost. No, I just didn't even no, think about. Didn't think about. It. Just like no, this is this I, is this is what happens if you get down here for this period of time. It's okay. And that was two hours left, and I then I just started having fun after a thirty minute or forty five minutes of just relaxing on the bottom. I just started having fun with my team, just playing like stupid stuff on the writing stupid stuff on the slate and showing them pulling their fins and just oh nice yeah just i'm moving around so my body is like warming up yeah yeah and i was not thinking about the cold no (laughs) yeah it's i think when you're on that home straight it must just feel like i mean you've already done 40 hours so you're like it's like it doesn't seem like that much that much longer i guess wow and what what was the feeling like when you came up at fifty hours? It was like seeing all the people mm. cheering for me was like okay, it was very. It was emotional. Yeah, I can imagine for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and who was the first people that kind of greeted you? I guess it was your your team initially, but um... yeah, uh, my wife was there, and Ben and Rika were the ones to just. Trying to get everything off. Get get your gear off to make sure you're okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like covered up, dried, and warmed up. Yeah, and then my sons were on the boat, so they gave me a big hug. Oh, nice. Yeah, and then they told my wife that please don't let him do this. Kind of <laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, fair fair advice. And and then how did what happened after what? What's the recovery like for something like this? Did you? I mean, because you've got media there and things, did you have to do any media stuff? Or could you could you almost just be like, thanks, but I'm going to go and sleep now. I'll catch I, up with you all tomorrow. <laughs> I did an interview for a couple of media that were there. And then I just went in and spent the time with the family and did a medical checkup. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And, and so overall, as an experience... Um, was it what you expected? Was it uh, different to how you imagined? Would you do anything differently uh, if you were to if you were to do it again? Uh, it would be the same, but little little things will change. Yeah, if I had to do it again, but I didn't. I mean, I was hoping that I would get more support from the local dive community, mm. but which I didn't. But I got more support from the international community community which i was not expecting <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah. That, yeah that's really interesting that's really interesting so now the the focus is on setting up the the foundation is the idea that you do something maybe it's not a 50 hour type dive but it's 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 another way to showcase and and, and raise awareness for for some of the environmental issues that's um happening in the maldives and beyond yeah one of the things well not one thing there are a couple of things that that's always been in my head that my father, when he was alive, was always be a good human, give back to the community. What I'm. Mm, yeah. So I see a lot of uh, underprivileged youth in the Maldives. Even though yeah. Maldives has this big tourism industry, there are so many of these guys and girls who don't have the financial capability of making their dreams as a dive instructor, dive master, or even a marine scientist come yeah. true. So I talked to my wife and we were like, let's let's set up this foundation. Oh, amazing. 
and do something every year. Get get sponsors or get people to f- donate, and we train at least six to seven a year. Oh, amazing! Yeah, and you, so you so you go into the local community, you find people that are interested, but at the same time, just probably just don't have the means and opportunity and, and awareness probably to get involved. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing is to create like every uh, awareness about single-use plastic. I've got a good team now, so they are willing to go to these local islands, go to schools, mm. and give awareness presentations and give again give back to the community. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Yeah, and then I will be doing one event hopefully every year, not not like the fifty hour, but yeah, yeah everyone can participate. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think that'll be a really amazing. Yeah, if you can get as as many people kind of involved and just yeah. participating, yeah, it'll touch them a lot. So that's that's pretty awesome. And now the documentary is being done by a German team who was part of the part of my dive. Wow, yes. very cool. What so, does that look like in terms of timelines? And um, uh, they are gonna show me uh, a rough cut by end of this month. Yeah. So after that, once I give them, it's all okay and good. They wanna put it or they wanna submit it into a few film festivals, especially the uh, Ocean yeah. Ocean Film Festival. Yeah, I've been to that a few times. It's great. Yeah, they yeah uh, they often tour around um, uh, Europe. That, yeah, uh, the, I really enjoy those and like the Banff and the European Film Festival. Yeah, and they want to premiere it in Germany, Switzerland because I'm here, yeah. in the UK and Maldives and Singapore next year. Wow, that would be amazing! And also, I mean, you should if you can definitely go along to those events. Like yeah. I, when when somebody gets comes along to. One, one or two of those when I've been and there's a bit of a Q&A just adds a whole different dynamic uh, yeah. when uh, cool. when that happens and um, oh wow that's really cool how did that filming go like did you have to do actually I didn't how, how did how did it all work I mean how, who, who got the filming and yeah how did that yeah, come together I, my team all everybody had all their cameras and stuff so they were always filming yeah the there was just always footage yeah and this German team Lift on Media, they were doing another documentary about the Maldives with one of my team members. Ah, okay. Before the dive, we went to two local islands. And on the first island we went, we met them and we talked about it. They did an interview and later they were like, can we join the dive? I was like, okay, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And then now it started. They first wanted to put the bit about the Ocean 650 into their documentary. And then a couple of months ago, they came to Switzerland and did a interview with me again, just asking about the docu- about the event and just like this. Yeah, yeah. And there's that, let's do a separate documentary. That'll, the story will be much better then. Oh, amazing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, well i really hope that uh that comes through and uh there's a nice edit that comes out the back of it yeah. look forward to watching that wow um we can probably start wrapping up pretty soon i've already i said an hour of your time i've already got an hour and ten apologies for that um, uh one question i guess i have is like just based on the journey you've been on and like the many paths you've taken 
um, especially throughout your different kind of careers and, um, and yeah, I mean, just life journeys. What, what would be the kind of one piece of advice you would give if you were, if someone was thinking of starting a new journey of their own or, um, or a new adventure, for example, like what, what would be the thing that you would tell them? There's always hope. Nice. There's always hope to get things done and just don't just just if you if you think positive and if you think you can achieve your dreams you can amazing amazing shaf that was that was wonderful is there anything else you want to add or um maybe not but hopefully we can do this again at some point or we can definitely catch up I know you're yeah. doing some skiing these days, right? I, mean, I, bet, I bet that's very different to your uh, diving days. But um, yeah. yeah, let's see if we can get out in the mountains at some point. Yeah, that would be good. You do a lot of hiking, I see. Yeah, I do a bit. Yeah, a little bit, little bits of everything. Yeah. yeah, amateur. I'm an. I'm a. I've called myself an amateur adventurist, which okay. basically means I'm a beginner at a lot of things. <laughs> let's let's try and catch up and do a hike. Or, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah definitely hey well thanks very much and um yeah i'll let you know when this is all set up and published and i will speak to you soon yeah keep in touch yeah all right have a good one chef you too goodbye thank you for listening everyone beyond the adventure is available on all major podcast platforms or you can visit beyondtheadventure.com for all the relevant links If you get a moment, please share with your friends and family. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to come onto the podcast, please reach out to me either by email on gareth at beyondtheadventure.com through the website of beyondtheadventure.com or reach out via my personal social media. My handles across Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn are all garethbrownuk. Thanks again, everyone, and bye for now.